What is the purpose of our faith? Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be diving into the subject of faith. And we're going to be looking at the reality of what it means to live by faith. An interesting term that is an active verb when you look at the meaning of this word as to mean that faith is something that is lived out in daily life, something that is exemplified by an individual. And so, indeed, if we if we are children of God, but we are not serving God in His kingdom, then how are people supposed to know anything about God? And how are they going to know God through us? Is not our faith inactive and or, as the term is used in James, dead. Kind of like the church in Sardis, when we get into Revelation chapter number 3, we looked at, look at the church at Sardis. Already we've seen that though they seem to be alive by the world, yet before God, they are dead. And the reason being is that the faith that God has given us through the Word of God is, is inactive in them for all of the pleasure and all of the sensuality that they embarked upon in the nature of the flesh. And so we find also that indeed within us, the very faith that, that we have come to in the Lord Jesus Christ can be inactive because we invest more of our life in football, or we invest more of our life in, in, in other sports, or, or games, or drugs, or alcohol, or work, or any of these other things, and that our faith would become inactive because all these other things have taken place in our heart a higher place. So we find that it isn't meaning, this isn't meaning that you've lost your salvation or that you have to work for your salvation, but that in your salvation you are called by Almighty God to be a witness through your life to this world so that they can know Jesus. And if we are inactive to the call that every single one of us has to be a servant unto the king, then we'll find ourselves facing this very situation, that our faith, being inactive, is dead because we haven't done anything with it. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. We ask that blessing upon us as we come to the reading of your word and as we enter into the study, Lord, that you will bless it to us in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, we're in James chapter number two. We're beginning in verse number 14, and this is one of my favorite places in Scripture. And the Scripture goes to say, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Hmm. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, Well, you have faith, and I have works. 
Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well, but even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. A beautiful example that that is given to us, two examples in, in people, but also an example in life itself, revealed in verse number 26 is referring to the body and the spirit and, and the relationship that, that each part has. You see, a spirit apart from a body does not have any connection to the things of, of the world. The spirit apart from a body doesn't have the five senses to be able to experience anything. It cannot smell, it cannot touch, it cannot taste, it cannot see, it cannot hear. And so the spirit within this flesh needs this flesh to be able to have that kind of contact that is necessary to process the information that's happening around it. And so when people die in this day and age, or at least when when their bodies quit working, because then I would need to go through and explain death, in which case we will get into that one of these days. But when the body quits working in that it's riddled with corruption, the spirit goes on, for we are created in the image of God and in his likeness, and we are eternal. Now that spirit is going to find itself in one of two situations, as coming to faith, as we're referring to in James 2, as coming to faith in Christ, the, the Spirit is going to be, be eternally blessed of being set free from the penalty of sin in that the, the death that we deserved in separation from God was covered on the cross by Jesus Christ through the blood of the covenant that would be poured out for us. And as we come to faith in Jesus Christ and, and receive him to be our Lord and Savior, our sin debt is covered by his righteousness, and we are, are able to be in what we see in Revelation chapter number 4 moving into chapter number 5, where we get to immediately depart from this earth to be in the throne room of God. Now, understanding as we pass from this life up until the time the trumpet blows and the rapture happens and we're carried out of here altogether, we get the point that, that as we pass, we, we immediately are entered into the throne room of God. 
we got this concept of heaven where it's rolling hills and and green grass and 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 harps and wings and clouds we sit upon and all of these other crazy notions that's not the case at all according to the scripture the throne room is where we shall be with the 24 elders casting their crowns at at the throne of god as he's moved about as he so chooses by the four cherubim that are holding the the sides of the the throne and and the lamb in the midst between the throne and the 24 elders and and a whole cloud of witnesses as referred to in hebrews chapter number 12 that would be there from all the saints that have gone on before us awaiting the time for the reunion with their bodies as the dead in Christ shall rise first. It doesn't mean that their spirits are sleeping in the ground with the bones inside of a box. That means that their their bodies will be resurrected first and that they will be reunited with their spirits as Jesus comes to the clouds of the air and they come with him. And thus we see the fulfillment of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses 16 to 18, the fulfillment of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, beginning in verse number 50 down to 58. We, we see the blessing of, of course, Revelation 4 and the throne room scene in Revelation 5 and all the crowd that would be there. Uh, just awesome, guys, just awesome. And so we understand that whilst the body is is in the ground in this box decayed or if you've happened to make the choice to uh, speed up the process by being put in an oven uh, and, and what takes a year takes an hour in that case either way god in his infinite power is going to resurrect the ashes of the dead well, they're not dead, as referred to as First Thessalonians chapter number four and verse number thirteen, as as Paul would go forth to say, I, I would have you not sorrow as those who have no hope, and that of of course we understand they're not dead; they're just asleep, as it was said. Now, whole doctrines have been built on this concept as being called soul sleep. But that's a false doctrine due to the fact that Paul is not alluding to the literally literalness of, of people sleeping in, in the grave, but that he is referring to the fact that children of God never die, that their bodies may be laid to rest, and as such he calls them as being asleep. But the same thing was said by Jesus himself concerning his good friend Lazarus, as you remember in John chapter number 11, when he told his disciples, he said, uh, we're, you know, four days later, he said, let's go to Lazarus. And they said, well, Lord, we don't want to bother him if he's just sleeping because Jesus said, uh, weep not for him. He's not dead. He's asleep. And so when he finally decides he's going to go, they say, well, we can't go there. He's sleeping. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. He's actually dead. But, of course, we also don't understand that the dead in Christ, as it says, to be absent from the body in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so all of these things tied together to provide the grand explanation that those who are in Christ can never die. Just as Jesus said in John chapter 11 and verse number 25 going down to 26, he says, 
those who are alive and remain shall never die. Then he asked Martha, do you believe this? So the very point is, is that we can't die. And, and the reality is the spirit is the point at which things cannot die. Now, if that's all true, then, then does anybody really die? And the answer to that is yes. Those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus, those who have rejected the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, those who, who have uh, rebelled against God have, have come into a state of called sin. And in sin, we understand, as we've already covered this back in James chapter number, number one, that sin, when it revives, it brings forth death, right? We talked about that, that concept that builds within us and that desire, that passion that draws us to sin. And sin, when it's complete, is, is death. And so we understand that the first death that is referred to in Scripture is that a separation from God and into the holding facility we know as hell. Uh, the, the Hebrews called it Sheol, Greeks called it Tartarus. There, there's so many different names. Uh, Romans called it Hades. There's so many different names that this, this place uh, carries, but it all stands to be the same thing. It's a holding facility uh, of being separated from God, and it's a place of torment. But of course, we understand that without the body, the spirit cannot experience those things physical or, or natural because separated from a body, it doesn't have any sensory perception. And so those people that are dwelling in the, in the pits of Sheol or the pits of hell in this modern day, though there be flames all around them, though this pit be like we see in Luke chapter number 16 with the rich man and, and Lazarus and the rich man uh, being in torments there in the pit of hell with a gulf fixed between him and those that were in Abraham's bosom, also referred to by Jesus as paradise, as he himself went there for three days with that thief on the cross, if you recall, that this is a place where you, you, you are suffering. Now, the suffering is, is more of the understanding you have than the actual physical pains that you face, such as the rich man begging for a drop of water to touch his tongue. But the issue is, is that, that I mean, Lazarus could have hosed him down with, with a water truck at the fire department and it wouldn't have made a difference to him at all because he wouldn't have been able to experience that 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 taste he wouldn't been able to experience the temperature change he wouldn't be able to feel because he's a spirit so that's even more torturous when you start to think about the suffering of those who would find themselves uh, separated from god by the way not because god is evil bad or mean but because they made the choice to rebel against his word to rebel against his gift to to reject him so people end up in, in Hades or, or Sheol, people end up in hell today because of their own actions, because of their own choices, not because God just threw them down there. And that's very important to understand is that, like it says in 2 Peter chapter number 3, and, and I believe verse number 9, he says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And thus God paved the way for all to be able to come to repentance by by literally sacrificing his own son through the hands of the Romans for him to be able to pay the ultimate price for our sin. And so it's not a hateful, mean, or evil God that that would would have some just selected to just burn in hell, but that he was willing that all should be saved. But it is the knowledge of God to know who will receive him and who won't receive him. And it is the knowledge of God for for those of us who have received him to live for him. Now, uh, another question of what I asked earlier, how are people to know who God is? apart from us living out our faith before them so that they can realize the loving God? How are people supposed to have a connection with God? How is this world supposed to come to a knowledge that it needs to be saved unless those of us who are saved are going to go and share the truths with them? How are they supposed to know? Well, this is the very concept of faith. Now, as I referred to earlier concerning faith as being a verb, we're going to look at this very point. And this word right here, faith, is the Greek word that comes up, and it is pistis, is this word faith in Greek, pistis. And and this word means literally a conviction this this word means that it's it's something truth it is an assurance or and or a fidelity such as those of us who have served in the United States military we pledge a fidelity to the United States and and to the flag with which it stands you see so as we swear an oath to defend our country from both those enemies foreign and domestic by the way uh, we we understand that it is the fidelity that we pledge to this country the belief we have in this country and 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 the very conviction of our of our soul about our country that draws us unto the place where we are prepared to give our lives to defend uh, the, the country and so it is this active faith right this this active verb that that moves us into action as we believe something we do something if we believe in in of course you see this in football stadiums all over the all over the united states don't you those who believe in their team are very active in supporting that team they're they're literally showing up in the stands and painting their their bodies the colors of their team and screaming and hollering and 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 going wild for 3 hours because they have a conviction they they firmly believe in their team and and want to see them succeed so that they don't just talk about being a fan of that team they literally put their words to action and and they support that team they show up they 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 rally that team on because they they so believe in them and you see you'll find an active faith in so many things but there's one issue that we face in our modern day is that you do not find an active faith for the majority of people in churches 
They believe in God, but he's often found on a list somewhere at the bottom because the things they're actually truly active in don't have anything to do with the things of God. And this may describe you, and if it does, please don't be offended by the preacher. Find the place where you've erred from the faith and and repent and get back to it. Because those things that we, we believe in apart from Christ and those things we have a conviction about apart from Christ and His work, the, those treasures of our soul that we, we indulge in and we rejoice in that are not the things of God nor the, the house of God in worship, uh, those things are going to burn up in a fire one day. Those things cannot go with you when you leave this earth, and those things will be fleeting for the for the short period of time that we have in our life. And what will be the end result when we meet our God is that we never actually exhibited our faith in God because we spent so much time revealing a faith in all these other things. Now, Does that mean that because we did not serve the Lord or did not do any works that we will be separated from God and be lost? Answer, not at all. Not at all. But please understand this. In that God is the one who ordained salvation, and that God is the one who gifted salvation, and that God is the power that retains salvation. As it said in in Ephesians chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 8, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And so it's not by the works which we have done. So we got that clear. Salvation is the blessing of God to man, and so it is kept by God, and, and you are going to heaven. That We're done with that. That's just that simple. You're going to heaven. <clears throat> Any works applied? Yes. There's one work that was applied to ensure that, that salvation would be eternal. There's one work that was applied to ensure that salvation would be for all. There's one work that was applied that would make and pave the way for for the hope of anyone. And that work was done by God, not by man. And it was done through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that we find that that this earth, as is believed in Orthodox Judaism, only as concerning the, the Jewish nation, by the way, the Jewish people, under the Orthodox thought, but that that all of Israel, all of the Jews are going to heaven. This, this earth was just a test to see how you would rank when you got there. And so their belief is a very Arminian-based belief that said, well, everybody's going to be saved. It doesn't matter how wretched or how good you've been. Everyone's going to be saved. This was just a grand test by God concerning his creation of man. Uh, that is not found in Scripture anywhere. Not, not at all. You could be the most moral lost person and still find yourself roasting in hell simply because you rejected the gift of God. And you could be Barabbas. I mean, you could be the most wretched human being that existed on the face of the planet, find the truth in the gospel, break down to to repentance and, and confession of sin before God, and Jesus will save you. For he has come to save everyone who will repent of their sins, which is what Jesus' message was throughout the Gospels. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So it's very important to understand that this word faith is a word that is active. It is a word that is to be lived out. Now, what happens as we're dealing with the subject of faith if it doesn't have any activity, works being the point of activity, if faith doesn't have any works, okay, ergon is this word works, ergon, meaning toil, meaning by implication to act or or labor or do, like he said over in James chapter number one, beginning about verse number 25, he said, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, deceiving your own selves. Uh, 22 to 25, uh, understand that this is the necessity that faith is is a an active belief that produces doing, right? So I have faith in my van, which is why I'm always going to my van to get into it, to drive to Harvey, or if, if I have to do something much bigger, I'm driving into Minot or into Bismarck or maybe down to Jamestown to toss it up a little bit. But but faith is is such a conviction that, that when the key goes in the car that it's going to start every time that, that I just simply go to my car and I jump in it. But you see, believing that that will happen will never come to pass unless I actually apply it. You know, when you, when you 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 think, okay, it's time to get back to to planting the seed, and you you you've been out there, you've been working on the tractors, you've been working on the implements, you've been working on the the disc, getting the bearings all changed out, you've been you've been prepping all of, all of the, the the vehicles that that are necessary, and and all of the stuff, the the air seeders, you've been ensuring that the fittings are good, that that everything's right. And so much that that all of that work, you see, is for the faith that you're going to be able to get the crop into the ground. You're going to be able to to utilize the equipment that you've just worked on because in that you've worked on it, you you have a, a surety that it's going to function. And of course, uh, that's when you just go to work. But now as all of these implements are created by man. They're all created with with failure in their future, and so it's 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 one of those things where it truly is living by faith, trusting that these things are going to operate when I need them to. So I just go right to it. And sometimes our faith gets let down, but we have to understand that those things are made by man, and so of course they're going to let us down. But the promises of God are immutable, meaning that they cannot be done away with. They cannot be, as another word, disannulled or changed because God is not like man and that his promises will break down. His promises will, will, will not function properly. God is is. Oh, he's all good. He's all perfect. He's, he's righteous in every way. And so when God makes a promise... You can rest assured in that promise. And if you have received his promise, then you can rest assured that that as he is eternal, his promise is eternal and you shall find rest for your soul in, in God, in Christ. Hamashiach. Oh, guys, that is that is such a thrill to consider. But God said, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And so let us look to the doers of the word that, that James gave examples of. First up to bat was Abraham. And I love this position of Abraham and Isaac because you remember Abraham, he was 
He was in a panic state. In fact, Ishmael was born through Hagar simply because Sarah, in one case, wanted a child, and so she used Hagar as a surrogate mother. But Abraham was really panicking about God's promise because he was getting older, and and even though God promised that he would have an heir that would that would you know be the seed that God would choose. And Abraham knew that that only this this servant that he had would inherit all of his his goods upon his death, which was a pretty interesting scenario. Remember the conversation of God back there in Genesis chapter number fifteen to seventeen. So God made him a promise, and God said, "I'm going to give you a son." But Abraham was 90 years old by the time that that Isaac, that promise would actually be fulfilled. And if you recall all of that, Ishmael would be about 14 to 17 years old by the time that Isaac would be born. And of course, Ishmael is recognized in, in Ephesians chapter number, I think it's, well, between two and four. <laughs> we'll have to go back and look. But understand that uh, that Ishmael is found as, as the seed of the flesh, whereas Isaac is found as the seed of promise. And so we have this birth of Isaac, and that brings you up to the point that is being made here in James. As, as concerning Abraham, in verse number 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And, and the point is that we see that faith was active. Now, that point of the altar. There's a couple of things about the scene that's found in Genesis that that we really need to pay attention to as concerning when when Abraham took Isaac up on that mount. Remember the servant was there with them. And and when the servant said, "Shall I stay or shall I go?" Abraham said, "No, stay." He said, "Keep the keep the donkeys ready." For me and the lad, we shall return. Now, the whole purpose behind Abraham going and taking Isaac up on that mountain is is so that he could kill him. And yet he tells the servant before they even go up, we we will return. So that in itself is, is an example of how willing Abraham was that he would go up on that mount for the purpose that God had placed upon his heart in, in the offering of his son. Is because he was certain that as God had blessed him with a promise of a seed that would be born through him with Sarah, who, by the way, was barren, <clears throat> that God would not go back on his word. And so how this is going to play out would be an absolute surprise to Abraham. But he trusted that it was indeed going to work out. And so we find that Abraham takes Isaac up on the, on the mount. He, and Isaac, remember his statement, he said, Dad, and Abraham said, yes, son. He said, well, I, I see the wood. You know, I'm carrying the wood, and, and I see the knife. I, I, I see uh, that we have all of the things necessary to offer a sacrifice to God. He said, but, but where's the sacrifice. And Abraham said, God will provide. Well, guys, again, you find that the absolute faith that Abraham has in the promise that God has given him and that God will make a way where no man 
could could pave it. And so you you find that as they get up there, they build the altar. They they they've got all the wood and everything prepared as as the offering would be done. But keep in mind, by this point of time, Isaac would be in his teenage years, somewhere between 13 and 17 or 18, Isaac would be a very strong young lad. He just carried all of the wood upon his back up to build the altar and and, and to be the sacrifice and offering and everything. He's, he's a very strong lad. And, and Abraham would be somewhere near 117, 120 by this period of time after the birth of Isaac. So you know that, that Isaac could fight his father off. You know that Isaac could uh, could probably take Abraham out. There's no question. But when it came time, I, Abraham bound Isaac, and there was no fight. There was no argument. Isaac allowed himself to be tied up, and he was laid upon that altar by Abraham. It doesn't say he knocked him out and tied him up, and the next thing he woke up with his dad hanging over him with a big old dagger about to be plunged into him. You'll find that there was a faithfulness in the son as well as a faithfulness in the father to do as the Lord had spoken. And of course, at that point, as Abraham prepared to drive that knife into his son, that the angels came and stopped him and said, your faith is known. Well, how in the world would it be known if, if Abraham hadn't told his son to take a trip with him? How would that faith be realized unless Abraham had carried the wood or had Isaac carry the wood? How would that faith be seen if, if Abraham hadn't explained all of this to his son, tied his son up, laid him on an altar? And how would that faith be known had he not had that knife in hand ready to bury it into his son? All of these activities that would be done by Abraham list the faith that he has in the promise of God concerning the seed that was given. And so Jesus said for us to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't just say that for pastors. He didn't just say that for deacons or for elders of the church. He said that for all of his children to get out there and actively live the assurance we have in Christ, to get out there with a conviction of knowing that the people around us who do not know the gospel are, are headed for an eternal separation from from the God who gave his son to die for them and save them. And if, if we don't tell them the reality of, of the gospel, they will perish. Do we have a conviction? Do we have the assurance that God will watch over us so that we have the, the strength to go forth and tell them the gospel? Do we trust God? Well, the reality is, is that most people that claim to be Christian aren't because they don't trust God, because they remain silent and they do not share their faith. They're not active. Therefore, the, the, the quiet faith they have to the world is dead because it's just with them. It's alone. And that's exactly what he says at the end of this point. Faith without works is dead being alone. Just being alone. And thus, uh, he says, you know, you, 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 you have faith and I have works, right? Uh, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works. Now, how are you going to be able to show somebody that you believe in God? 
Now, you believe in God, but you never share that with your co-workers. You never share that with your friends. You never share that with other family members. You, you believe in God, and, and you do well in your belief, by the way. He says that here in 2. He says, but the devils believe also, and they tremble. So you, you claim that you have faith. You claim to be a believer, but you never do anything to reveal Jesus. You never do anything to, to serve in the church. You never do anything to, to be a blessing to the community. You never, do, you never do anything with the faith that you claim to have. Well, I can't say you're saved or lost. I can't say whether you have that faith indeed or whether you don't because salvation's not in the realm of man to be able to say one does or does not have. But you certainly call yourself into being questioned, do you not? Because faith is something that is a verb. It's something to be actively done. And works are those activities that are done in order to reveal that faith. And if you have no works then if you do have faith, it's all alone because it's only you and, and those around you are going to be dying possibly and, and never know, never. You're the only one that could have reached them because you're the only one who knows what they have need of and, 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 the, and they will never know because you will not live your faith. Now, imagine facing God. Imagine facing God. By the way, you are going to face God. This is not a hypothetical a situation. You're going to face God one day. And it doesn't mean that he's going to reject your salvation once he's given it, because then he would, he would make null and void the very promise itself by taking it back. This is not the case. But you will face God. And if you pay attention to Revelation 22:15 and you're around me for any length of time, you're going to realize that you're not going to be in the New Jerusalem. You're not going to be in, in, you're not going to have a home in that mansion because in that you did come to faith in Christ, but you never lived out that faith. You will not be granted access to come in. In fact, you won't carry that new name written down in glory, but will be called something like dogs or sorcerers or liars, as revealed in Revelation 22:15. You say, wait a minute, this is all strange and new information, but you better study. And by the way, I'll be covering that. We're going through Revelation on Friday. You don't want to miss that. But guys, do you not see faith? Look at look at Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute there in Jericho when, when Joshua and the crew had just passed the Jordan River and they come up to Jericho and the spies came in. Remember, Rahab was the young lady who let the two spies out through her window, which was on the side of the wall, and that Rahab uh, asked them only to swear that, that she would not be destroyed when they came because she knew that their God was very capable of dropping the walls. And so you find that uh, Rahab, as revealed in verse number 25, was justified by her works as she kept those two spies from being destroyed and she caused them to make promise that when the walls of Jericho came down, there was one section of that wall that was still standing. And that was the section that Rahab lived in. And so that we find that, that when God makes a promise, God keeps a promise. And in our active serving of his promise or revealing of his promise, taking care of the things of God, that, that we will be 
blessed. We will be taken care of as well. And so it's it's very important to understand faith. I'm I'm just totally out of time, but but guys, this is a very powerful subject. We could spend the rest of the week just talking about this faith. And it's it's not a faith that is born by the works. It is a faith that is produced through the relationship that we have in Christ Jesus. And because of that relationship, we are motivated by the Holy Spirit to tell others, to share. And, and as we grow in our understanding of God's Word, we grow in, in our faith, we grow in our connection with one another, and, and church becomes the most blessed place, man. It becomes the place that we just got to go to, we want to go to. We, Man, I can't wait for the next time. In fact, I can't wait so much that I come together with you guys online every day. Because I want to be with you. I want to want to share these things with you. I want I want you to grab a hold of the concept of faith and the and the reality of the ergos, the the reality of the activity of our faith that we live out in the doing of it every day. So that so that we can grow in our understanding of God and of God's word, and we connect every day. This is the point. So that others may live. This is the the statement of our special forces operations in in all of the branches, but specifically the pararescue branch of the Air Force and its special operations group. Its, Its motto is so that others may live. And that's exactly what we are as believers, as Christians today, as disciples of Christ. We grow in our understanding of the Word of God by study so that in our daily lives we can go telling people all throughout the day, all all throughout our lives, we could tell people that the, the hope that they could have in Christ and the necessity of salvation so that they can live because we have received life. But those who never do anything with their faith apart from maybe show up when it's convenient to church on Sunday, no, those get spewed out of the mouth of Christ of being lukewarm, and those seem to be alive to the world, but they're dead before God. Consider the churches of Revelation. I can say no more. I'm already over time. But guys, if you want to know more, put it in the comments, and we'll we'll really go through this this place in James uh, at another time because faith it's it's powerful. Without works, is dead. Being alone, Father, we thank you and praise you, asking your blessing upon us this day as we consider these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys, keep you guys, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I shall catch you tomorrow for Wisdom Wednesdays. We go through the book of Proverbs. Till then, take care.